Hello everyone, and welcome to Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, and this is a rare midweek extra episode, just because there has been so much interesting gaming news over the last week that um, it felt like something fun to talk about. There have been so many interesting games revealed across the Day of the Devs, the Wholesome Direct, um, a little bit of Summer Games Fest, Summer Game Fest rather, and Xbox and Bethesda Showcase. And lots of them were really interesting indie games. And back at the start of the year, I did a little five indie games to look forward to show um, that proved popular with people. There was some good conversation about it on the Discord. People enjoyed hearing about games to put on their watch lists and look forward to. And there have been so many games unveiled that it's kind of dizzying. I mean, there were over 60 games in the Wholesome Direct, you know. There's 20 games in Day of the Devs, etc. There's a lot of games. And we must have seen over 100 games across all of the showcases of the last few weeks. Um, And I watched most of it. I had a lot of it on a side screen while I was working. And if something caught my eye, I would jot it down. Um, And I've come up with a list of 10 interesting indie games that caught my eye and a couple of extra announcements that were just interesting, you know, some of the bigger stuff. Um, So I thought it might be fun to do a little episode and just run through some of those games, talk about some of the interesting things that we've got to look forward to. A lot of them will be out in the next 12 months, especially I enjoyed that about the Xbox and Bethesda showcase. They said you'll be able to play all of these games within the next 12 months, which is very exciting. And one of the ones that blew my socks off and (laughs) set the internet on fire was a game that a lot of us have been looking forward to. This is the only um, really big game I've got in this indie games section of the show. Um, And it's Hollow Knight Silksong. Um, Everyone who has played Hollow Knight is dying to play Silksong. Hollow Knight was such a classic game. It was an absolutely beautiful game to look at. The gameplay was sharp. The the music was incredible. The art style and the world building of the Hollow Nest is just so memorable. I think back with such fondness to Hollow Knight. And so hearing that Silksong, which had been unveiled several years ago on a Nintendo Direct, um, to have that pop up as a day one Game Pass game in an Xbox showcase was very interesting. Um, I think... Hollow Knight really kicked off on the Switch. That was where it really went into gear and became the hit that it is today. Um, And so it seemed like a natural fit that Silksong might be a Nintendo game. So it's very interesting that it's going to be on Game Pass. It's certainly pleasing for anyone that's got the service because it means, you know, we're going to get that game as part of our subscription. Um, So that was a great announcement and it was lovely to see some gameplay and it was a nice reminder of just how magical uh, the work that Team Cherry does is. It was great to see Hornet with that little red outfit and that distinctively shaped insect skull just uh, moving through this world. I really can't wait to see where this game is set because the Hollow Nest was just such a big character in that first game. Um, It also looks rock hard. I mean, the combat in Hollow Knight was off the hook difficult. The difficulty was intense in that game. I'm very curious if Team Cherry will think of the difficulty as a selling point and an essential component of Silksong, or whether because of the mass audience that that game got and the even bigger audience that this game will get, 
that will be tempered somewhat. So that's pretty interesting. I'm, I'm wondering if I'm going to have to brace myself for more of those zero error uh, pattern learning boss fights where you you have to memorize, you know, five different moves and just execute dodges to perfection in order to get through. I found this to be a bit of a frustrating roadblock in the first game. All of my favorite memories of that first game are to do with discovery and to do with sinking ever deeper into the Hallow Nest, finding the green, um, overgrown area of Green Path and the Queen's Gardens, discovering the City of Tears and realizing just how advanced the, uh, the civilization was down there before its collapse. So my memories of, of Hollow Knight are this melancholy um, urban exploration, kind of, um, and discovering the depths of the Hollow Nest. So I'm curious to see how they all balance this game. It looks like it's going to be very hard. We saw some boss fights with, um, with Hornet leaping between vertical kill areas, like uh, blasts out of the ground, and hitting both above and below her with her thread. It's a move that we've seen before when we fought her in Hollow Knight. So I can't wait to explore this new world as Hornet. It was really nice to see a little bit more of the game and just to get a reminder of just how beautiful that art style is. Um, and it will be here within the next 12 months, maybe even this year. So that's something to look forward to. But other than that, um, the rest of these indie games, most of them are games that I heard about for the first time. Um, during these showcases. It is a mixture of games from the Xbox and Bethesda showcase, from the Day of the Devs, and from the Wholesome Direct. Um, so there are games from all of those that I've just mixed in together. Um, and one of the ones that caught my eye um, immediately, actually, was a game called High Water. And this was an interesting one, because the first thing that happened in this game was that you see a flooded world, and a voiceover came on, and it said something about um, it was the time when humanity was aiming to leave the Earth and live on Mars, um, something like that. And then it said, the world ended on a sunny day. And I recognized the voice immediately. It's a very distinctive voice. And it was the voice of the narrator, the radio show host from Golf Club Wasteland, um, a game that I covered on the show um, some episodes back, and I praised it for this radio show that you listen to throughout the game, where you're you're getting basically like a podcast that is on topic with the game itself. So it's a radio show in which interviews happen. It's like a real radio program, and it fleshes out the world. It's like a talk radio channel all set in the world of Golf Club Wasteland. And to hear that voice again was really thrilling. And High Water looks like a 3D exploration game. Um, there was some dinghying across a flooded world. So the Earth is, you know, suffering from climate and rising sea levels, going through disaster. Um, and in Golf Club Wasteland, the Earth has been abandoned, become toxic, and everyone moved to Mars. So this is a prequel to that game in the same scenario, but this time it's not about golf. It's um, They said it was a strategy RPG game. There seemed to be some party-based stuff. At least there was a moment where four characters were running along together. The visual style was a little reminiscent of Kentucky Route Zero, like some low-poly animations um, and a nice sort of saturated but also quite enticing enticingly colorful world the bright blue sea but the the gray green of uh, the ground but not verdant obviously 
because of um, what's going on in that world. But that was a very interesting one, High Water. So it's another game from Golf Club Wasteland developers who are called Demagogue Studios. No announcement of when it's coming out or on what platforms yet, but that looks like one to watch. Another game that caught my eye is one that I've actually had an eye on for quite a while. It's gone a bit viral because of the beautiful graphics on uh, Instagram and on Twitter, and it's called Nyad. Um, it's a game, it's a top-down game in which you swim around a beautiful river, beautiful gleaming clear river with lily pads and flowers, fish and wildlife, um, verdant riverbanks and you play as a little kind of ragdoll water nymph turning clockwise, turning anti-clockwise, swimming around in this river, interacting with the flora and fauna, uh, picking things up, finding things. Um, and it's it's a very beautiful, arresting game. I recommend looking it up, Nyad, N-A-I-A-D. Um, and I've had my eye on this one for a while. It was nice to see some more gameplay. It was nice to see that there is an ecological theme and that as this water sprite you have to cleanse nature and you will find uh, evidence of mankind and you will have to restore the nature. And so it's a game about how beautiful nature is and it really does look beautiful in this game. Uh, my only hope for this game is that the clockwise and counterclockwise turning that we see in all of the screenshots, I hope that it feels as good to do as it looks, you know. I hope the game plays as well as it um, comes across visually, and I hope that the controls feel nice. I hope it feels lovely to turn and swim in that water. Um, so that's a really, really nice looking one. That's Nyad. Um, another one that popped out for me was called The Garden Path. Um, this was an absolutely beautiful looking game as well. It's another top-down game. This one is about gardening, and it's about crafting. So you're growing things. It's got a bit of an RPG feel to it. It looks lush, beautiful, colourful, dense. It's got a bit of a Witchwood vibe to it. That's a game that I covered this year um, with a similar collection and crafting kind of mechanic. But this one's got absolutely gorgeous graphics. It also reminded me of The Wild at Heart, that beautiful top-down hand-drawn game, um, which I, I still have to do an episode on The Wild at Heart, actually, but The Garden Path had that vibe. It looks like a, a cosy game beautiful to look at, great lush orchestral music with a bit of a touch of Philip Glass to it. I was very, very smitten by the, the Garden Path. It's by Carrot Cake. It's coming out in 2022, um, so keep an eye out for that one. Um, there was an interesting looking one, but it kind of passed me by in the flow of games because there were so many to see. It's a pixel art metroidvania called Animal Well. It's by Shared Memory. It's coming out on PlayStation and Steam. Um, they describe it as a handcrafted, surrealist, pixel art, survival horror puzzle game about secrets. Um, and this one didn't grab me at first, um, but it, it looks interesting. It's got really, really dark simple pixel art um, with no detail to it really um, but it de definitely had a vibe um, you meet creatures that seem like they may or may not be hostile so you kind of have to figure out if they're just going to eat you or if they're going to help you um, but the reason that I featured this one on this show is that I was listening to Danny from the No Clip podcast 
who went down to Summer Games Fest and he got some hands-on time with a lot of the games that were in the showcase. And this was his pick. He was like, this is the one that I played and the gameplay really spoke to me. He said, I think this one might float under the radar, but has the potential to be the kind of indie hit um, that sometimes comes out of these showcases. And that was enough for me to think, okay, well, maybe it didn't um, speak to me visually, but it sounds like there's more to this one than meets the eye. So I'll be keeping an eye out for Animal Well. Um, a game that I think did catch everyone's eye is Shim, uh, spelled C-H, um, sorry, S-C-H-I-M. It's by Eud van der Werf, a Dutch developer. It's coming out on Windows, release date TBC. It's one of those sort of platformers without platforms, a little bit like Inglet, a game that I featured earlier this year where you're jumping between these gelatinous clouds. So you're kind of platforming, but you also float inside the clouds. Um, and in Shim, it's like a world with a line-drawn world uh, black and white, a little bit like Toem, if you remember that indie game last year. Um, and you can, you're a little sprite, a tiny little dot on the screen. And a shim is a shadow sprite, and every object has a, a shadow sprite that lives in its shadow. But you've become lost, and so you're looking for your, your object. Um, and you're jumping between shadows. So you can be in the shadow of a person who's walking down the street. If they pass a lamppost, you can jump from the person's shadow into the lamppost's shadow. If there's nowhere that it looks like you can jump next, you can rotate the world, and maybe you'll see that there's a dustbin behind the wall. You can then jump into that shadow. So you're leaping through the shadows of the world, um, platforming without platforms, platforming through shadows. Um, so it was very striking. Um, I think in these showcases, it helps if the game has a simple hook, uh, which means that perhaps simple games come off best and more complex games or more detailed or mechanic-led games or story-led games can perhaps get a little lost in the shuffle when it's, you know, 30-second or one-minute trailers. Shim definitely hooked me straight off the bat because it just looks like easy fun. You get the idea as soon as you see it. Um, but I will be interested to see if it um, holds up, you know, if it's such a simple concept. Will it develop enough across its playtime to, to be good? I think Inglet did that. You know, I do like a good short couple of hours indie game, I get the feeling this might be one of them, like a design, a well-designed piece, you know, that you can finish in an afternoon. So I'll be looking out for Shem. And another game in that mould, another game that had a quick, easy concept that caught the eye straight away was a game called Time Flies by Michael Frey, the guy who made Kids. If you've bought any of those Itch bundles for Ukraine, etc., the charity bundles that Itch so credibly does, creditably does, then you probably own Kids. Um, a line-drawn game. And this is another line-drawn game, so it's black lines on a white screen. This time it's pixelated rather than hand-drawn, pen-drawn like Shim. This one has pixelated. It looks like it was done in MS Paint. You play as a fly with a very short lifespan, and you're just flying around a house with, you know, everything that you find in a house, with a dining table, with a kitchen, with lampshades, with cupboards. And you have a tick list of things that you want to do, a bucket list of things to do before you die, such as get rich, get drunk, go on tour, play music, all of these kinds of things. And you carry these out as a fly in comedic ways. Um, so say you've got 48 seconds to live, um, you have a very short life cycle. You can find a cocktail, dive into that cocktail, and then get drunk will be crossed off the list of your, your bucket list. You can extend that life cycle, explore different parts of the house. It's another fun-looking game, very simple, very catchy concept. 
Um, I wonder how long it will be. Maybe it will just be a couple of hours long and it'll be a fun toy game that you finish in an afternoon. This one's coming out on Switch, PlayStation, PC and Mac, so you can play it in lots of different places. I think it would be a nice game for Switch, maybe. I'll be keeping an eye out for that one. That's Time Flies. The next one I have here is called How to Say Goodbye by Florian Veltman, coming out on Mac and PC. It's an isometric sliding block puzzle game. Um, isometric perspective, there is a character on the screen that you control in that, that death store kind of perspective. But rather than moving the character around, you do a little bit of walking, but you also slide them on blocks, chains of blocks that move them around the screen and that move in certain directions, a little bit like controlling conveyor belts. You use it to move between different areas of the screen, um, solve puzzles. It looks like a puzzle game basically with logic puzzles with this conveyor belt system. But it's themed on grief um, and it does that in a very video gamey way. There are ghosts that you talk to, there are um, story elements handling death and grief. Um, so that one seems at least intriguing. Um, puzzle game mechanics, I think, always live or die with how the, well, no pun intended, with how the player connects with the logic. Um, there have been puzzle games where I flew through them and felt like I was in communion with the developer uh, or the puzzle designer, like the pedestrian. And then there have been games that have just felt like banging my head against a brick wall and I just cannot do the puzzles, like the almost gone which I talked about recently. And I think that that probably varies from person to person, like how your mind works, whether you pick up on cues. Um, and so I'll be trying out how to say goodbye and hoping that it's one that I connect with. And the same goes for a game called Birth by Madison Carr. This was a very intriguing looking uh, designy game. Um, it looks like like, um, how would you describe this one? It's very spooky and interesting. It's like, almost like a kind of high art WarioWare in some way. Like, you know, the idea of having constant mini games that are always different, uh, where you're sorting things out, putting things in order, clicking on a curtain to draw it back and find a puzzle object, finding a safe combination where you have to turn over the paper and read it backwards. All of these small, constant puzzles. But rather than being like, um, the, the aesthetic of it is what makes it stand out. So it's very artistic. It has like line drawn skulls, fragments of bones, a muted palette, um, moving through a strange world, searching through people's possessions, finding fragments of information, like a never ending, extremely intriguing uh, Pinterest aesthetic gothic puzzle game. Um, and it's very intriguing this one, very intriguing, very hard to describe. Um, maybe I will make this into a YouTube video actually and show off a little bit of gameplay with these little bite-sized teasers so that you can see what I'm talking about. All of these videos are available online. This one was Birth by Madison Carr. Um, and much like the last game that I talked about, How to Say Goodbye, this is one that I think I'm going to have to play to get a full opinion on but it was certainly enough in the trailer to make me want to try it.
The last two that I've got in this little indie section are games that you may have heard of, and they've been shown before. One of them is Planet of Lana. This is a super charming Studio Ghibli style game. It looks just absolutely beautiful. Lovely art style. I think a lot of people fell in love with it from the first trailer that we saw. It's by Wishfully. It's coming out on Xbox and Windows, which suggests that it might be a Game Pass game. Um, we saw the protagonist in that first trailer racing along a desert on a spider-like mount um, beneath giant machines like Atats from Star Wars or, or Colossi. Um, it was very, very intriguing. However, this trailer showed us more gameplay, and it looks more of a puzzle platformer than I expected from that first trailer, which looked like um, like a fast motion game in some ways. There was a little bit of running around, but there was also this vehicle moment that really caught the eye. Turns out that's not the game. Um, it's much more puzzle platforming. You have a companion that you can send to, for example, drop a rope for you and that kind of stuff. So companion puzzles. Um, the puzzle platforming looked a little bit familiar, to be honest, like a lot of games that we've seen before. But the visual style is amazing. It certainly has a lot of charm. The aesthetic offering is very good. So we saw more of Planet of Lana. It perhaps didn't up the hype for me personally, because um, I was hoping that it might be a slightly different kind of game, a bit more propulsive. Maybe it still will be. Um, I'll definitely still be playing it. And finally, there is Choo Choo Charles. This one is a survival horror open world train game. You might have seen this one. It went a little viral when it first appeared. It's a game in which you have a train, um, just a single steam engine. It has a, a chain gun on the back. You can run into the train and you can uh, go down the tracks. You can change the the tracks so you can go down different types of tracks and explore the map. Um, you can also get out of the train and explore mines, towers, houses, shacks. It's dark, it's nighttime. But the real killer thing in this game is that you're being stalked as you do these things by an absolutely terrifying contraption. It is like Thomas the Tank Engine if... It grew giant spider legs, walked off the tracks, and got a grotesque face. So you're being stalked by this, this horror spectacle of this spider train that is not tied to tracks and can roam the world and is hunting you. And so you have to get on and off your train. You can shoot at Charles to scare him off, uh, wait until he's gone, then hop off, try and find things in the world that are going to help you out of this horrifying situation. Um, on foot, you are intensely vulnerable. You're not armed. And so it becomes a stealth game and a survival game. Then when you're on the train, you can set the engine running, shoot at Charles as you speed away. It uh, looks terrifying, looks fascinating. Um, and I'll definitely have an eye on it, even though it's not particularly my kind of game. I will certainly be keeping an eye on Choo Choo Charles. a couple of things to mention as well that I've talked about before. Uh, Coffee Talk is getting an extra episode. That's a lovely visual novel that I reviewed on the show where you are a barista. You talk to uh, your customers, you make them drinks, you try and make them drinks that are going to heal them and soothe them, take cues from them to invent recipes. Um, but the funny thing about it is that your customers aren't human. They are monsters. They are robots. They are spacemen. So it's this Seattle-ish coffee house game 
with a very diverse and interesting cast of characters. So very happy that Coffee Talk is getting a second episode. I'm super interested in that game. I've also mentioned Fall of Porcupine before. This is a very night, night in the woodsy looking game where you play as a bird and you are running through this world. It's actually, it turns out it's about healthcare. You have to go work in a hospital. So this is a really interesting looking one. I played the demo. It looks just like Night in the Woods, to be honest. It takes that visual style and runs with it. Uh, Night in the Woods obviously was visually brilliant with great music, but also had a great story. Um, when I was playing the demo, I wasn't entirely impressed by the writing. The dialogue felt a little bit stiff, but it was a demo and they've had a lot of time with it. It's a year since I played that demo. So I'm really hoping that the story of Fall of Porcupine lives up to the visual promise and the, the interesting premise that it has. We also got a another look at Terra Nil, um, the reverse city builder, uh, where you rewild an empty valley. And I'm just so in love with that idea of a reverse city builder. I love games that engage with ecology and the problems that we have today. I love games that touch on those themes that seem to be mindful of the fact that most games we're running around breaking crystals off, harvesting everything we can see, destroying every tree that we see. It does feel like games are sometimes stuck in a mentality that has got humanity to where it is today. The, uh, the mentality of endless consumption and of the world being there just for us to eat and destroy and use. And so I love games that reverse that, have a different philosophy. It takes a little bit of effort to think that way, to break out of that simple collection mechanics and harvesting um, towards other gameplay ideas, growing things. It's happening slowly. That's why I was so interested in the garden path. That's why I'm so interested in Terra Nil. And I feel like this little roundup of Summer Games Fest wouldn't be complete without talking about Starfield. This is um, not an indie game. This is a Bethesda game. Um, it's the first huge new Bethesda game that we're getting since Xbox bought Bethesda. Um, and I've been looking forward to hearing more about this one. I love a sci-fi game. I love an open galaxy game. I love uh, flying between planets, RPG mechanics, exploring strange worlds. I'm a huge No Man's Sky fan. I love a good RPG story, but I also love a sandbox. And the things that we got for Starfield were good news for me. Um, it's got great music, the visuals look cool. It has this really futuristic feel to it. Um, the, the land that we saw, the moon of Crete, looked really bleached and desaturated, like a strange, faraway place. It gave me that feeling of wonder that I'm really looking for in games like this. It also had a feeling of the wonder of space travel, of taking off vertically in your ship, flying out of the atmosphere, traveling through space between planets, through asteroid fields. Um, and some of the more interesting things that we saw were that you can build bases, um, that there are a crew that you can hire to man your bases to carry out tasks for you. There is ship building and customization, so you can build and design bases, you can redesign your ship in a configuration that you like, repaint it, uh, reconstitute the elements of it, test it out in spaceflight and see how it feels and handles. Um, and the big reveal at the end of the, of the demo was that it's a No Man's Sky style universe. There are over a thousand planets for you to explore. They have hubs and cities where you can land, but you can also land anywhere. 
you can set up camp anywhere you can build bases anywhere um, and this t this means that it's a sandbox as well as an rpg great news i mean one of the most fun things about fallout 4 was building settlements building camps and that kind of thing so i'm really happy to see that this game has the sandbox potential built into it that means that there's potential to keep playing it after you finished the story um it wasn't all good um the facial animations look plasticky and bethesda-y which is a little disappointing at this stage i mean after after we've seen um amazing work and amazing advances in facial animation and games like last of us 2 and horizon forbidden west it feels like a bit of a step backwards in that regard which is a bit of a shame. It would be nice if this uh, this brilliant, giant, um, enticing-looking space RPG was up to speed with um, with what Sony Studios are doing. Also, the um, the gameplay didn't look spectacular. The combat gameplay, the exploration looked fun. You can scan the environment, you can mine from the walls, very No Man's Sky. But the combat itself looked a little basic. Um, there was some infiltration gameplay where you um, enter a pirate ship. And the pirates just spotted you immediately and you shot them, they were dead in five shots, and you just carry on. So the FPS gameplay looked a little rudimentary, to be honest, but I don't think that that's where this game's going to live and die. I mean, No Man's Sky was very much sandbox plus other stuff. You know, the combat is barely a part of the game. So it depends what they're going for, really, but it was very odd that the, the big unveil focused on combat that looked rudimentary, when actually the sandbox looked much more interesting the base building, the ship building, the crew hiring. So there was a lot to like about Starfield. I'm curious about the finished game. I can't wait to play it. All in all, I totally caught hype for this game for the first time, really. I've been vaguely interested, but now I'm seriously interested. I do hope that Bethesda have um, moved on a little bit from Fallout. I've always felt like Fallout being a game that came out, I think, in 2017 or maybe the year before, but it felt behind the times, a little bit like the Outer Wilds felt behind the times when I picked it up the other day. Not the Outer Wilds, the Outer Worlds, excuse me. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, if they're, if they're still building on that old engine, that creaky engine that they've been using, I'm hoping that it doesn't feel that way. I'm hoping that this game feels new um, and it has less of that Skyrim bugginess um, and less of that Fallout 4 behind the times creakiness. I really want this game to be fresh and to feel fresh and to play well and to have that sheen of newness and futurism that really brings sci-fi to life. Um, but if they can do all of that and combine the the sandbox of No Man's Sky with a, a good, solid RPG story campaign and maybe with multiplayer, with base building and harvesting, this could be fantastic. Um, the fact that it's on Game Pass is great so you can try it without spending 70 quid. Looking forward to it, that's Starfield. So I hope you enjoyed that little Summer Games Fest, Xbox Bethesda Showcase, Day of the Devs and Wholesome Direct um, review. 
those were the games that leapt out to me. There were there were more, but those were the main ones. Those were the ones that made me um, note them down, write their names, look them up, follow them on Twitter. I will leave links to some of these in the description if you want to go and follow them and see the trailers yourself. You can see the trailers everywhere. They're all over YouTube, on the Xbox channel, on the Wholesome Games channel. Um, there are lots of watch-alongs. Uh, the MinMax and Easy Allies channels both have great watch-alongs where people talk about them. MinMax has Joseph Geller, who's a great commentator and critic. Nice to see him talking about new games. Easy Allies is always a really relaxed, good time. So I sometimes like to watch while people are talking over the trailers, to be honest. It's, um, it's a fun way to do it. Um, if, I, if you think that I missed any games, if there are games that, you th that leapt out for you that I didn't talk about, please come tweet at me at Gaming in the Wild. You can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube and Twitch, all as Gaming in the Wild. If you enjoyed this show and you'd like to support the podcast and join the community around the podcast, which is really lovely, you can do so at patreon.com slash gaming in the wild for a dollar a month, euro, a pound a month, one, three or five, it's up to you. And for that, you'll get extra episodes, you'll get access to our beautiful Discord community, and you'll get sale recommendations, extra content from me. Um, it's really fun. It's really fun. I'm really happy and with the community that's grown around the podcast. So if you would like to join that, it's patreon.com slash gaming in the wild. I also really appreciate Apple podcast reviews and ratings. If you're listening on Spotify, you can now rate the podcast uh, from the podcast's homepage. If you hit those three dots, you get uh, the option to rate the podcast out of five. All of that gives me uh, like a nice little lift and also helps other people find the show. So thank you very much if you have the time to do one of those things or if you want to join the Patreon. I would also like to mention that the music that I used in this episode was actually taken from a variety of games that I have featured on the podcast and just used as mood music. So we heard music from In Other Waters by Amos Ruddy. We heard music from Hyperlight Drifter by Disaster Peace. You can buy both of those albums on uh, Bandcamp and that's what I did. That's where I got the music that we heard today. I will leave links in the description. If you like that music, go support those artists. I will also say that this outro music that I always use is a, a track called Possum Springs from the um, Night in the Woods soundtrack, also available on Bandcamp. Um, thanks for listening. I'll be back at the weekend with another episode. I think I'm going to be talking about the game Chorus, um, the Game Pass game, sci-fi, space opera that I've been having a fun time with. So take care of yourselves and each other, and bye-bye for now. <laughs>